Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. Been a while since I've been up here on the guitar, so what you all join me uh, with victory in Jesus.
Y'all may be seated. Good morning. Isn't this great? I think it's pretty great. You look around the auditorium and we're a family. I think it's neat. I think it's good stuff. Who else but God could plan something this amazing that we gather together to encourage each other in godly integrity. And that's a, that's a good thing. Also, I wanted to point out, Matthew chapter 10 says, by God's ordination, if we belong to God through Christ's shed blood and resurrection, powered by the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 8, according to Matthew 10, we are essential workers in today's America. And we're supposed to be out there telling people there is hope. Ladies Fellowship Night, chocolate fondue. <laughs> Randy, Ladies Fellowship Night. It says, bring what you like to dip in the chocolate. So that's why Randy can't come, because it'd be smoked bacon, it'd be <laughs> fried venison, Jimmy Dean's little sausages, <laughs> things like that. So there's postcards out in the foyer, so you can pick one up, and it'll give you uh, a little more information. And if you're listening at home, you can contact Julie tomorrow. If you do want to show up, you can, uh, you can say, yeah, I want a part of that. Men's breakfast and men's Bible study is changed to next Saturday because of the EFCA conference. So uh, this is difficult for men because somebody buggered up our calendar, but it's next Saturday, and of course you guys know the drill. No wives, meat, eggs, you know, good stuff, good stuff. Just a side note, I was ironing my shirt this morning, and I like to iron like, you know, you get a piece of paper that gets wadded up and wrinkled. So you iron it on low to I've never seen anybody iron a four-leaf clover. And then it hit me. I'll bet nobody wants to press their luck. <laughs> I'm trying to get you ramped up for Pastor Shane here. <laughs> The book of Jeremiah is fascinating. Shane's taken us through Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the only writers of Scripture that lived what he wrote and wrote what he lived. And it is amazing. It only takes four hours to read that book in one sit-down. Twice it'd be two hours. Four times it'd be one hour. And it is amazing. And the thing that most of us don't realize about Jeremiah he lived through the worst time in the world for Hebrew people. He actually witnessed the fall of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. And yet he stood faithful to our God and his purpose, his call as an essential worker. So it's an encouragement and you know, Pastor Shane keeps telling us to read ahead, read along with him. It, it really is. I mean, 
people are scared because of politics. We're scared because of the COVID. You know, we're scared of this. We don't want to wear masks. We do want to wear masks. But Jeremiah, he had it down. So follow along with the pastor. Uh, we put in the bulletin that there'd be no children's Kids Rock next week. But there will be. Okay? We need helpers. We need workers. Remember, most of us in this room, some of our best friends were kids once. And those kids, they need grandpas and grandmas and uncles and aunts. I have two grandsons that still quote the weirdest friend I ever had, Royce Hershberger, because he taught Sunday school. And if they learned scripture, he'd take them out shooting. We went up to the big buffalo ranch up there that George Lawrence owns up at Twin Lakes or wherever it is up there. Um, he just loved those boys. And these grandsons are men. They're grown up. They're out with full-time careers, and they still quote Royce. And yet their parents and myself have told them the same thing. But Royce says it's so important for kids. It really, really is. And the scary part of that is next week I will be helping in children's ministry. So I'm just saying, we need help. Youth group tonight is at Craig and Maggie Meredith's house. Oh, Wednesday night. Yes, it is. Wednesday, May 19th. Well, I'll be there tonight, so there'll be a practice run. <laughs> We're going to practice bonfire, hot dogs, and s'mores. <laughs> it's Wednesday. At Craig and Maggie Meredith's. And then Tyler Whitlatch will be starting a Bible study in the Gospel of John. It'll start Monday, May 24th at 6 p.m. right here at the church. It's open to everybody. And there is more information in the bulletin. And if you have thoughts or concerns, uh, email or call Julie. But this kid is a very gifted teacher. This is what he does, is teaches theology. And so, you know, it's good stuff. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. when Jesus was addressing people, he said, you're in error because you don't read the scriptures so you don't know the power of God. And in the message, which is my favorite translation, basically it says, yo, you don't read your Bible so you don't know how God works. We got to know. We got to know. Remember. We're essential workers. Won't you all stand as we sing, Stand in Your Love? When darkness tries to roll over my bones.
always good to repeat something like that as often as you can until it sticks, right?
Father, you are altogether wonderful to us because we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And Father, I've been reminded of your of your gospel, just the beautiful gospel story that in its simplicity have baffled history and nations and peoples. And so, uh, won't you join me as we sing uh, Glorious Day, Living He Loved Me. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful truth. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. The word became flesh and Light shine among us, his glory reveal. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified, freely forever. One day he's coming.
be sooner than we think, might not be, but in the meantime, we get such an opportunity to be Christ, be his light um, in the moment, in the struggle, in the trial, at our work, um, in our families, in our homes. And I pray that, uh, God, that your spirit would just empower us continually as it remains with us even today, that we would be lights for those in darkness. In Jesus' name. Kids, you are dismissed. Man, did you guys not get the notice about the party they're having somewhere else? You know, it was, uh, we had our conference this weekend, so we've been busy. Uh, I, I spoke on uh, Friday night, and uh, we had been done a business meeting and uh, hours of sitting in meetings, and uh, it, was, it was a pretty low attendance. It was awesome. And uh, it was pastors. And like normal, I struggled with my own pride. I was a little bit intimidated by speaking in front of them. Uh, and one of the things that I realized as I got up this morning as I was hanging out with you guys uh, was how much I appreciate this family. And um, I just wanted you to know that. And I also wanted you to know that the district, uh, the guys that were, are in our district that came here and got to watch uh, our team serving them, uh, several of them pulled me aside as they were leaving on Saturday afternoon, and they said, you know, your church loves one another. It's just amazing to watch how they interact with each other. And uh, it was just an honor and a privilege, and I just want you to know how much uh, everyone appreciated it and how, how valuable it was uh, for our churches to come and be served here. And, and it went really well. I know you guys worked really hard. Um, so thank you very much. Happy Mother's Day to everyone.
And uh, we have a special treat for you as you guys leave today. Uh, you will meet two of our elders on the way out the door, and they have a gift for you, for your moms, as you go, uh, as you go out. So um, we want you to know that you are loved, and we appreciate you. And uh, I haven't texted my mom yet or called her yet. I realize texting her is not going to work. Just for, for those of you moms out there like, <gasps> I'm not going to text her. I'll call her. I'll call you in a minute, mom. Um, she's actually probably watching right now. So, uh, but uh, this morning I was a little distracted uh, with being here. So uh, today we're not going to go through Jeremiah. I'm going to actually share with you uh, not the same message that I did on Friday night, but the same passage, uh, just mostly because it's easier. I'll just be honest with you, uh, to, to just being honest. Um, but it also it was a part of me sharing my heart. Uh, with our with district pastors and with our with the the district uh, brothers and sisters that I do deeply care about, um, and I was sharing what God has has been doing in my life over this last year of being in finishing up Mark uh, and jumping into Jeremiah, and I want to share that with you guys today. Um, and the, the primary passage that we're going to be in is Ephesians chapter two verses one through ten. Um, but before we get there, I want to share a quote with you. And I know I don't quote a lot of people. You guys are like, really, he's going to quote somebody. Um, I was teasing the guys. And again, part of the, you know, when you're talking to pastors, like, I normally only quote people like Paul, Peter, David, maybe little Solomon. That's a joke because they're all Bible characters, right? And so typically I don't quote men, but I found this one particular quote in my pastor's Bible. So if any of you want to know where the secret's at, it's all in this pastor's Bible. It actually says pastor's Bible right here. It's not anything special, except for the fact that it has a couple of, uh, of tools or different things in here that I have found very encouraging and helpful at times. And this one particular quote I found this a while back. It was while we were in the middle of Mark. And um, it's a quote by Spurgeon, but he's actually quoting someone else uh, called Richard. This man's name is Richard Baxter. Uh, and he wrote a book called Reformed Pastor. And uh, this is what this is the quote uh, that I shared with these other pastors, and I want to share it with you today because I believe it applies to all of us, not just to pastors, but he's specifically addressing an issue. He says this. He says, Take heed to yourselves, lest you should be void of that saving grace of God which you offer to others, and be strangers to the effectual working of that gospel which you preach, and lest uh, while you proclaim the necessity of a Savior to the world, your hearts should neglect Him, and you should miss of an interest in Him and His saving benefits. Take heed to yourselves, lest you perish while you call upon others to take heed of perishing, and lest you famish yourself while you prepare their food. Though there be a promise of shining as stars to those that turn many to righteousness, this is but on supposition that they be first turned to it. Their own sincerity in the faith is the condition of their glory simply considered. Though their great ministerial labors may be a condition of the promise of their greater joy, many men have warned others that they come not to that place of torment, which yet they hasten to themselves. Many a preacher is now in hell that hath a hundred times called upon his hearers to use the utmost care and diligence to escape it. The point that I was trying to 
uh, that I feel like God really got after me on, and I wanted to share with my other pastor friends and other church leaders, and, and I want to remind us of, is that there's many times where we who are close to something or who have made professions of things tend to neglect those areas in our own homes or in our own lives, right? You guys know I love cars. I've tinkered on cars since I was a little kid, and for most of my life, I've, drawn, I've, I've driven junkers that I've worked on. And do you know any mechanics that, that don't drive nice cars? Anybody? Okay. Some of you are like, that's the guy I go to. Um, <laughs> what about, what about um, there's an old, right? There's an old, uh, there's the old uh, adage that the cobbler, you know, has his kids run around without, you know, barefooted. And that whole idea of us being so close, well, th- this man, Richard Basker, Baxter, he, he believed, in, and this was written back in the 1800s, he believed that there was many pastors who were going to hell who were neglecting the work of the Word of God in their own lives. They were, they were neglecting the gospel in their own lives. And uh, I grew up, uh, in Van- the Vancouver area, one of my friends, his dad was a mechanic, and he was a great mechanic, and he had a lot of people that brought their cars to him. His driveway was always full of people's cars, nice cars, that were getting worked on in his driveway. And you'd drive up to the shop, and there were nice cars, and, and the shop was a little bit disheveled, but he always had his work area clean, and his tools were all put away. But when you got to his house, there was a whole pile of, of cars that were not always working. In fact, my friend, sometimes we, w- we didn't know which car he'd be showing up in uh, to youth group because it would be- depend on which one started when he went out to come to youth group. And uh, I don't know if I've shared this story with you, but, uh, you know, I do struggle with my pride uh, in some areas. And one of my favorite car, well, not my favorite car, it was my favorite um, opportunity for growth car. Uh, it was a uh, 2000, I think it was, no, it was my 92, it was the 92 Mustang, which I gave to one of my friends here in the church um, as an opportunity for growth too. And, uh, but it, it was, it was one of those cars that you didn't really want to be seen in because uh, the paint was peeling off and it had a, it had a really small motor in it. And um, at one point in time, I'm having to drive this back and forth uh, to church and, and the stuff that I'm doing and the driver's door handle broke. So you know what that means, right? You're crawling through to get in. And that's humiliating. I hate that. Like, that's a pride issue for me. I really struggle with that. There's a point, you know, when you're walking out to that car, you're actually changing the speed in which you're getting to the car based on how many people are close by your car. Well, Well, then one particular day, I'm actually preaching on this issue of pride in my own heart. I'm actually addressing this issue, and um, I go out to get into the car, and the passenger's door handle broke. You know where you get into the back of a hatchback Mustang when both doors won't open? You got to open the back. You go and open the car, then you get out, and you go back and shut it, and then you get back in if you have to know. You want to talk about humiliating because you can't put your stuff that you just got at the store in the back of the car either until after you get that open and the other door open and then you come back and pick the stuff up off the ground and you put it 
What's, you know, why do I share this with you? Partly because I think there's times where when we get engaged in our lives and we get so busy in our own lives that we actually neglect the things that are the closest to us. We neglect the things that we spend a lot of time around. And, and when we as believers are, are in close proximity to the Word of God or we're spending time doing these things, we, we go to church regularly, we do Bible studies regularly, I think there's a chance that we could actually be in the condition that Richard Baxter is warning these pastors about. That we become so familiar with it that we stop actually taking the, the, the grace and receiving the, the Word of God and the gospel into our lives in a meaningful and powerful way where it changes how we live and it changes how we think and the way in which we celebrate and worship God, the way in which we confess our sins. And God, the Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, really, they lay this out. Paul lays this out for the believers and he, he just gives us this beautiful picture of the gospel. And I, I want to share that with you briefly. Can you imagine that? I'm, I'm teaching at a pastor's conference, and I take him to the gospel. It was awesome. You could hear a pin drop a couple of times. I was terrified. Who preaches the gospel to pastors? Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Look at what it says. Verse 1. And you were once... Or excuse me, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The first thing that we see that Paul reminds us of is that we were once dead. We were once like the world. We were once uh, uh, embroiled in our sin trapped in all of these things and, and struggling with this reality. Now, here's the problem, right? I grew up in the church, you guys, since I was three years old. They say I came to know the Lord at three. That's what I've been told. I don't remember three. I, I really don't. I guess, you know, there was this thing that I used to do. My mom was a single mom. My, my dad left when uh, I was about three, my mom was pregnant with my youngest brother, and she had my sister in between us. So you can imagine, it's four foot ten, little cutie that's running around with two kids and a baby on the way, having a heck of a difficult life. And, and this, was, this was a few years back when that wasn't very cool. And, uh, and we show up at church. Actually, she got rescued by um, friends that are friends of ours now, and, and we found out when we moved out here to, to the Spokane area that... Um, Dolly, Mer Dolly and Jack Meredith were actually good friends with that crew of believers that, that actually rescued my mom um, out of a Safeway parking lot and helped her get clean off of the pain medications that she was on 
and, and started taking us to church. That's where I came to know the Lord. So I, I don't remember anything but church. I, I don't remember anything but being a Christian. I don't, I don't remember, uh, uh, in fact, um, I don't even know if I'd have a really good testimony. Isn't that a horrible thing to say? Good testimony. Because we think of a good testimony as being when you have a major disaster in your life and God does this miracle in transforming your heart and, and turning you around from being horrible to being wonderful. Well, the truth is I was horrible. I was, I was angry. I was rebellious. My mom got remarried and I was angry at them for that. I made their life miserable. I was, I was so caught up in my sin and my selfishness that when you see Paul saying here, in the ways in which we all once lived, verse 3, he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our, uh, of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by, ra- by nature children of wrath. I lived that way even as a child, as a young man, as a young adult, even as in early years in my marriage. Um, you know, God took time and, and walked us through some great challenges in our marriage uh, to actually reveal some of the blackness of my heart, some of the darkness of the selfishness and pride that was existing in, the, in a youth pastor at the time. I was a youth pastor. I didn't preach very well. But man, was I passionate. And yet I was still struggling with sin. Still, at one point, not even realizing how far I was, how much I was struggling with sin. How much those passions had consumed me. I think part of us understanding what this is and not becoming calloused and losing sight of where God's taking us is if we, un, if we actually apply the gospel to our lives on a daily basis. If we actually look at our own hearts and our own lives, the thoughts that are happening, the attitudes that we carry, uh, the, the way that we wave at people on the road, the way that we deal with conflict in our work environment, the way that we deal with conflict within our homes and within our families, within our church family. You guys know we had a big vote on it, and I'll show you the, with the details as a church later because it, I don't want to take up that time, but we're, as a district, we're in a big conflict right now. And the gospel makes a difference in how we relate to one another. But if it's just an idea, if it's just, if it's just a philosophy that we carry, then what effect does it have? If we don't actually believe it, then it's probably not going to change our lives, right? I love that idea of belief. Uh, Doug Weber, at one point in time, he, he gave this great illustration for me. He was, uh, he's a retired pastor uh, from his place church, uh, spent a bunch of uh, years. He uh, was a big part of actually dragging me over to this area and, and God using uh, us and building relationships there. But he made this great illustration one time. He goes, uh, he was sharing with how, how he's, he's dealing with uh, a diabetic issue. And the doctors told him, you have, di- you have diabetes and you need to stop doing these things. And he goes, if I believed him, I would stop doing those things. But he has a Dr. Pepper hidden in his office. Why? Because he really doesn't believe that that's going to kill him. Right? I mean, that's ultimately what that means. And so when we think about how what we believe in the gospel, are we really attach, or applying that truth? We have to ask the question, is it changing our lives? Does it matter on a daily basis? Do you believe that you need a Savior? 
Now, remember, you're all in the church force field right now, so all of your answers are holy. I get it. We all be like, well, yes, I do. Thank you for agreeing with me today. But what about when we get outside the church? What about when you get out here and you try and make your way to your house on the freeway through construction? What about when you're, when you're going through uh, uh, the Safeway and you're trying to deal with people in there that don't care that you exist? We had this one time, we went to the Golden Corral, we took our kids. Remember that, that event, we went in there, man, I tell you what, that was the first time I've ever almost knocked out a grandma. <laughs> Wait, it was the only time. I need to qualify that. This woman was pushing my kids over to get her oversized body in line to that food. It was the most unbelievable thing I'd ever seen. And I'm talking my little kids. I'm not talking teenage boys. I'm talking four to eight-year-old boys. And she's pushing through them and pushing them out of the way to get up to the gravy bar. I don't know if I've ever been as hostile towards an individual that I didn't know in an instant as I was at that point. I will tell you this, we've never gone back to the Golden Corral. There's nothing golden about that place. But do you believe that you actually need to deal with a sin in your own life? Do you believe that you need the gospel? Brothers and sisters, if we're convinced that we're no longer in need of addressing sin, I believe that the gospel can become as dry as the pages in your Bible. And according to Romans 3.23, look at what it says. Romans 3.20 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in in Christ Jesus. You and I have got to take a real look at what the, the issues in our heart. And I'm not talking about the big issues. I get it. Anybody agree that murder's okay? Anybody agree that robbery's okay? What about speeding? Ha, I'm choking. I'm joking. That was a don't. Don't raise your hands. But we have the big things we've got down. We know that we're not doing those. We know God's against those things. I was having a conversation with one of the gals in, in the denomination uh, on Saturday. She gave me permission to share this. What we were talking about, it was before I got up to, to speak, and she was ta- we were talking about this, the gospel issue and dealing with our sin. And she goes, you know, why don't people preach on gluttony? So I did. I brought it up in the pastor's conference. <laughs> because pastors are some of the most unhealthy people in the employed world. They have some of the highest uh, rated issues with heart attack and obesity and all kinds of issues. I'm going to share something with you. Please don't panic. I I went into the ER last night because my chest was bothering me, and we didn't know why. And I have a real, I have a a real, sorry, Mom. (laughs) I hadn't told her either. (sighs) Because nothing's nothing's wrong. I didn't, anyway. But my, my real dad, my biological father, had two heart attacks by the age of 45. I'm a little past that. But something was up. Something didn't feel right. My bride looked at me, and she goes, you know what to do. You were an EMT. I'm going to wait 12 hours, and then I'll go in. Um, we went in, and there was nothing wrong. It happens like it always does. 
until the one time that it's not going to be wrong. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm sitting in there. They got all the wires and we're doing all this and they come back and go, there's nothing wrong with you. But how, I know what the signs are. I know what the symptoms are. I know that health is an issue for pastors. But am I addressing it? Am I, am I really taking that seriously? Is it changing how I'm living? When, when we look at this idea of sin, when we address this idea of who we were before the gospel, brothers and sisters, I believe we need to do that every day until you are sitting in the presence of Jesus and you have no sin issues to battle with. That's where we need to be. That's where we need to be. Romans seven twenty one says this, we've read this before, and, and uh, I just love resharing it all with you. Romans seven twenty one says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul paints this picture of this this conflict that's happening within our our body, within our members and our mind. We want to serve the Lord. I want to know God so intimately that it changes everything that I do from from the moment I get up to the moment I go to sleep, even when I'm laying in bed and I'm having a hard time resting. When I get up to preach in front of pastors, I want to be able to walk up there without the twinge of my heart going, oh, don't. Don't say something dumb. That's how I want to live. And yet there's a war that's going on in my heart because that, that, that pride, that stuff's still there. And I need the gospel just like everyone else. Paul also talks about the, 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 this idea, and I, I love how he does it in here. He talks about the world, the flesh, uh, the devil. And, and we won't take a ton of time on that, but if you're interested in, in some of those things, if you find in your life that you are battling the, the attacks of the world, and, and how does the world come after us, right, with, with the billboards and, and all of these grand ideas? I mean, one of the things that I think as a church we have to be very careful of is, is becoming convinced that comfort is a right, that God would never ask us to be uncomfortable. We're in Jeremiah. Oh, man, if that doesn't rattle your cage on what it means to be a disciple, right? What did, what did Jesus, or what did God say to Jeremiah? Jeremiah, it was chapter 5, verse 1, or 1, verse 5, I think. It was in the very beginning, right? Remember what he says to him? Jeremiah 1, 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He didn't even get to apply for the job. We've got to be super careful that we don't buy into the lies of the world. There's also, uh, in Carl Payne's book, Spiritual Warfare, he actually lays out all three of these things right out of, right out of uh, Ephesians, and he walks through the different things, how the world is going to attack us with, with these enticing ideas that affect our mind and, and what we want to do, and then our flesh is going to attack us with the desires of pride and lust and all of these things that come from within our flesh, and that the enemy is going to be coming after us. 
and shooting darts at us, and there's different ways that we address those things. But that's what's so amazing about the gospel is that when we actually engage those things and we begin to look at our heart, we actually see and we're aware of those attacks coming and we can apply the truth of God's word and begin, I believe, to see a vital, life-giving relationship with the king. What I love about the Ephesians chapter 2 is that Paul turns the corner, right? He says, this is who you were. Remember who you are or who you were we got to take account of that, remember that. And I think that at times when we remember that reality, when we get over and we start actually experiencing the new life that's in Christ, we are so much more grateful for it. It also makes it easier for us to appreciate other people's problems, right? Any of you guys actually stop as you're driving down the road and you see some poor person stuck on the side of the road. Do you pray for them? I do every time. Do you know why? Because I've been on the side of the road. A number of times, I have compassion for their troubles. And I even pray, there's a couple of times I've prayed, I've seen the couple, they were having a conversation. And I'm praying, Lord, please let that poor guy have mercy from his bride, because he probably was working on his car. You don't feel any worse than when you went in and did a bunch of work on your car and you break down on the side of the road with your family. Man, one of the worst, one of the worst scenarios, it wasn't terrible. My bride was very mature at the time. Uh, spiritually, and uh, we were taking a vacation. We had a truck and a trailer, and we're, we're, we're leaving, and I've done all this work on this truck and the trailer, and we get, we get, I don't know, we were two and a half hours from our house, four hours from our destination, and we pull into this gas station, and the transmission drop just dumps all of its guts right in the gas station. Now, we're in a town that we don't know anybody. We're, we're nowhere near anyone. And to make things worse, our cell phone that was supposed to arrive on Friday uh, was not delivered due to weather by Fed up, I mean FedEx. Even, and they said by due to weather, and it was sunny and like 75 degrees all day Friday. I'm not sure what weather he had an issue with, but we didn't have a cell phone. We have no, if you know used to be able to go to a payphone somewhere and you could get help. That doesn't exist anymore. And we were at a gas station that didn't have an attendant, you know, because we were, we were the we had a card where we got a better discount if you went to the ones where nobody was at. God did a miracle in that time. We, we had people pull up and take care of us and, and met a new family. They, let us, they actually let us use their car to go get our other car, like a four-hour drive. It, turned, it was a miracle what God did. But I got to tell you, when I see people broken down on the side of the road, I feel compassion for them. I, I, can, I can see and understand what they're going through, and I passionately pray for God's mercy and opportunity in their life for His grace to experience. When we recognize our sin, it helps us to see the gospel more clearly, not only in the joyful celebration of what it's done for us, but also in the joyful power and possibility of what it can do for others. I believe that's what Paul's doing. And then in verse 4, he makes the transition, and he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has for us, in which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive to Christ. By grace you have been saved. You know, I spent a lot of years in ministry, 
not, not, not as many as some, but most of my, almost all my work life has been in some ministry capacity, most of it. And you know, there's a season in my life where John 3.16 didn't mean a lot to me. I'm like, that's, everybody quotes that verse. We've got to find a different verse. We've got to find a different verse. Because I was looking for a cool verse. Not, I didn't want to use the, the old verse. And it was somewhere in Mark, this, over the last two years that we spent in Mark, that I realized something about that. You know, I use John 3.16 a lot now. I, I began to be reunited with the truth of the love of Jesus that would cause him to go to the cross in obedience to his Father and offer his life for me. If we don't have the gospel being applied to our lives on a daily basis, you and I can forget about that love. We can become disconnected from that love. You know, in a marriage, it's always a good idea. The marriage counselors, they always suggest that, that you tell your spouse that you love them. Uh, the joke is that, you know, the, the old guy that looks at his bride and says, I, I told you I loved you once. If something changes, I'll let you know. That's not a good relationship. That's not how that works. And I think it's the same way with the gospel. When, when we begin to become distracted by this or we begin to become detached, we lose sight of the great joy that is in the relationship with Jesus. We lose connection with the life-giving power that is present in the gospel. And if you're not passionate about it, do you think you're going to be able to share it well? Hey, guys, let me tell you about this Toyota 4Runner. I think you should buy one. Sorry, for those of you that don't know, I had a Toyota 4Runner incident a couple years back, and it's just not left my, uh, it's, it, I've not, never lived it down. You would never expect me to be out trying to sell a Toyota 4Runner. Why? Why would I not sell a Toyota 4Runner? Bad experience. What do I love? Yeah, so if I'm going to go out and sell something, yes. Oh, thank you, it was a RAV4. Do you see that? I don't like them so much, I can't even keep them straight. <laughs> Bash the right one, thank you. But what I'm saying, the thing is, is what I'm passionate about, you, you know about it, you know what's important to us. One of the reasons I think that the gospel is dying in America is because we're not actually connected to it anymore. Our relationship with God has just become intellectual. It's not personal. It's not meaningful. It doesn't confront our personal sins. We're dealing with the big ones. We're dealing with the national things, but we're not actually in it going, I was once the dead person, but I have been changed, and I have received the grace of God, and it's changed my life, and it makes a difference how I live. He says that it's a gift of God. It's not something that we've done. And did you see what he says about that? I love that in Ephesians 2, uh, in, in 8 and uh, verse 9, he says, uh, it's not a result of work so that no man, no one may boast. You know, part of the gospel is for us to recognize we're not earning it. You can't behave well enough to earn the gospel. Sorry. Some of you are, are I, I would call you saints. I watch your life, 
and I say, I want to be like that when I grow up. That's how I want to follow Jesus. One of the greatest gifts I had, I received that from a saint, uh, a senior saint who came up to me, and this would be an individual that I would say, man, I hope my walk with God is like that. And they came in and shared with me that they really wanted to pray about their faith because they were struggling with a life issue in trusting the Lord. And I went, man, you guys, we don't, we don't get to heaven because of our behavior. We don't get to heaven because we've figured out this thing and, and we've chosen right. The gospel is the love of Jesus expressed, uh, the love of God expressed in Jesus on this earth offered to you and for me, not because of our behavior, but because of his love. And when we accept that, we are transformed and taken into his kingdom. That's the beauty of the gospel. And we need to remember that on a daily basis. Or I believe we, just like, just like Rex Baxter, uh, Baxter said, the, the, the quote earlier, for Richard Baxter, that Spurgeon quoted earlier, we are in danger of being those who offer the gospel to others but do not receive it ourselves. Isn't that amazing that we're actually watching Jerusalem or Israel do this? We're watching the, the nation of Judah actually do this in Jeremiah, right? You have, you have Jeremiah offering them the word of God. They even had a good king at one point in time who said, we're going to follow the Lord, but the people said, nope. We re- we're going to reject God. And remember, even last week, we, we asked the question, Jeremiah says, he goes, who would not fear the Lord? He makes a rhetorical question, well, the nation is pursuing other things, all of these other idols, and running away from God. And then he finishes with the whole idea that we're created for a purpose. Do you believe that God is sovereign? Don't answer. Just, just wrestle with this question. Do you believe that God is sovereign? That he created you for a purpose? That just like we saw in Jeremiah 1.5, that he actually, he actually planned your day of birth, who you are, how you were created, that he actually did all of that before you were even born. Like we see in Psalm 139, that he knew us before we were born while we were in our mother's womb. I love this. This is one of my favorite. How do I say that? One of my favorite. I'm beginning to think I like them all. Well, at least most of them. There's some of them that really point out the ugliness in my heart, and I'm kind of like, not a favorite. But I think if we understand the gospel, I think as we begin to engage the gospel, we would actually have to say those are some of our favorites too, because it changes how we live. Do you believe God's sovereign? Psalm 139, verse 13. For you you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You know, I spent a season in my life wishing that I'd been born in a different time. I used to think that I should have been a cowboy. I got I'll just be honest with you guys though. 
I got to go ride with some cowboys and push some cattle back when I was in Enius Valley and do the horse thing and do the cold thing and do the do the you know get beat by tree things and 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 not be able to walk for a couple of days after you got off the horse thing. And I decided I was not cut out to be a cowboy. I'm glad God gave me an iron horse and a Mustang because <laughs> that was a lot of work. But so many times we're looking at the, somehow the, the pasture is green on the other side, but God says, according to Scripture, He made us exactly who we are for just this specific time. Do we believe God? Do we believe that He's sovereign? Do we believe that He's, he's actually watching over this and He's created us just the way we are? You know, Jeremiah's response in Jeremiah 5, when he gets to verse 6, he goes, uh, nope, remember? He goes, uh, I'm too young and I don't know how to talk. You got the wrong guy. And, and the Lord's like, I did mention to you that I'm like the creator of the whole earth. Like, I got this whole thing, right? I love that because even when I'm looking at the gospel, when I'm being reminded of these things, there's times where I honestly believe we need to ask the question, do we believe it or not? Do you believe what you read in Scripture or not? If he's not the sovereign God, if he's not in control, if he didn't do all these things, then it kind of doesn't make sense that we keep doing what we're doing. I mean, what's the point of religion? Idolatry, all of those things that we watch happen. What's the point if there's not a a, a true God that we're worshiping? If we're not going to accept what he says in the text. I, I told you guys that pride's always been a big issue for me. I don't like looking like an idiot. I'm always worried about uh, getting up here and saying something dumb. And uh, one of the reasons I love you guys is because you put up with me and you love me. And, and I have men and, and family members in this church that challenge me. and will come and say, hey, you said this. Uh, is that true? Guess <laughs> look at what the Bible says. I love that. Because I need that kind of family life. I need that kind of connection. But when we think about the gospel, when we think about how we're living it, how we're expressing it, uh, I found a quote that I want to share with you, one more quote. Uh, it's one of my favorite quotes I've, I've, I've found yet, and it'll probably be like other things. I'll find other quotes and be like, hey, I like this one too. Uh, but this one in particular really cut to the quick for me. Um, because I'm always cautious with the gospel. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I, I can tend to be a little careful with the gospel and where I'm sharing it and how I'm sharing it and, and some of that stuff because I've always, I've always felt like I, I'm not very good. I don't articulate it well. I feel like I stumble over the text. Anybody feel like that at all? It's okay to be honest. It's safe in here. Nobody's looking. Um, but the reality is, is that we, I struggle with that. And I think sometimes it's because we want to try and get all the words polished up and we want to have it, we want to have it coming out just right so you've got, your, you know, you've got all these programs and ways to do it. I'm absolutely convinced that part of the way that we make the gospel so simple that anybody can share it and it's hard for people to, not under, to, to misunderstand it is when we have actually been uh, uh, completely immersed in it. Can you share the gospel? I'm not saying go out and find a stranger. Share it with your spouse. Tell them what you believe about Jesus. Share it with your... You know, for most of you, if you had Christian mamas, they would love to have you come home and tell them what you know about Jesus. Right? Moms, is that not true? If you've been raising children, you, you want them to follow the Lord, you'd love to hear them tell, tell you about your, their faith in Christ. But we got to be immersed in this. We need to actually address this on a regular basis and, and, and draw ourselves into it. 
I love, remember, uh, well, Ezekiel said it, right? Uh, that he said as he was uh, challenging the nation, he said that we, it's time to seek the Lord. And Jesus himself says, seeks first the kingdom of God. And part of that's us addressing this and drawing this in. I found this quote, I was, I was reading this uh, sermon by Spurgeon, and uh, it was on preaching Christ crucified, partly because I was, I was just trying to get some more information about, you know, on the gospel and, and wanted, to, wanted to really uh, address this issue on the gospel well. And I thought, I'm quoting Spurgeon. And, and the coolest part was all the guys that spoke before me all quoted other, other notable authors, too. It was really cool, you know, so I got up with quotes, and, and I'm, I'm pretty cool like them. And then I read this. He says, The preacher must also be sure that he preaches Christ very simply. He must break up his big words and long sentences and pray against the temptation to use them. It is usually the short, dagger-like sentence that does the work best. A true servant of Christ must never try to let people see how well he can preach. He must never go out of his way to drag a pretty piece of poetry in his sermon, nor to introduce some fine quotation from the classics. Catch that? He must employ a simple, homely style, or such a style as God has given him, and he must preach Christ so plainly that his listeners cannot, can, uh, cannot only understand him, but that they cannot misunderstand him even if they try to do so. Charles Spurgeon, he's one of the most quoted uh, authors of our, of our day. He's one of the most quoted Christian authors that we have today. And he says we shouldn't be quoting the classics. But rather, we should be preaching the gospel in such a simple fashion that it actually distract. We're not a distraction. It actually turns the attention away from us and puts it on Christ. I am deeply convinced. I am passionately challenged in my own life to say, am I believing, am I living the gospel? Is it changing how I live? Is it changing uh, my view of the sin in my life? Am I immersed in it on a daily basis so that when I have opportunity to share it, I'm not having to drudge up some kind of informational piece, but I'm actually sharing from my heart a passionate, joyful expression of what God is doing in my life every day. That's the call that we have as disciples. That's the joyful invitation we have into the gospel. Jesus said it to his disciples, come and follow me. He didn't say come and learn how to preach. They did. He didn't say come and learn how to do church. Still working on that. He didn't say come and be, be better Pharisees or, or, or anything like that. He didn't offer them religion. He said, come and follow me. And I love the fact that they didn't get it. It gives me encouragement. But what they did was they followed Jesus daily. And I believe that if we want to have that kind of vital, life-giving relationship with the king, we need to respond to him daily. Here's the joyful thing. There's some of you that have been doing this on a regular basis. I want to encourage you, if that's you, then worship, celebrate, tell us about it, share with us what, what Jesus means to you, teach us how to walk like that. If those are, there's probably some of us who are struggling in this area, who have maybe actually been uh, looking at sin in our life and going, oh, that's not that bad. 
My selfish, greedy heart's not horrible. I don't struggle with gluttony. I don't struggle with pride. I don't struggle with jealousy, covetousness, fits of rage. None of that. I want to encourage you that this is the time to address those issues. You know what I did? I did this to this pastor's conference. I, and I didn't do, I, I realized today I should have done something different. But I actually offered him an altar call. <laughs> so cool. I scared the bejeebers out of them. <laughs> Seriously, one of the pastors actually came up to me afterwards and he said this. He goes, it was at that moment that everything that you had set up to that point hit me in the face. He goes, would I respond to this? Is God asking me to respond to this? Is there something in my life? It was the first time that he actually evaluated that in, in the whole 40 minutes we were talking. Now, I didn't ask them to come forward because I was scared to do it. <laughs> Who does a altar call with pastors? I realize next time I'm going to. I'm actually going to let it hang. But I want to challenge you guys today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond, and I'm going to ask everybody to keep their eyes closed. But I want to really encourage you to take this opportunity to respond to the Lord. And we joked about it, I don't know when it was, it was a while back, but man, if you're filled with the joy of God, tell your face. Part of the problem with our Christian organization is that so many of us walk around angry and upset and discouraged and, de- and defeated. And, and I really believe it's because we're not actually connected to the source, to the joy of Christ that's overflowing, that can be overflowing in our heart. So I'm going to do this. And I've shared with you guys that I'm wrestling with pride. I was wrestling with pride on Friday night. I'm confessing it coming forward going, Lord, I know that my fear of sharing what you've given me is totally pride. I am worried about getting up front and looking like a goofball in front of all these good pastors, all these great preachers. And we got some good preachers in our district. And they got all of their styles, and they're all polished, and they do great introductions, and they have great quotes, and they they do all this stuff really, really well. And I was intimidated by that which is totally pride, right? Can you agree with me that that's my pride? Okay, good. See, it's not hard to agree with other people with their sin. So just agree with God that you've got a problem. That's all you got to do. All you're doing is agreeing with him. Lord, this is a problem, and I know it. I can't do it on my own. I can't handle this, but the gospel truth of your word can. And I'm going to lean into that this morning. So would you close your eyes with me? And I want to do this. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, but there's nobody looking. I'm not looking. Everybody's going to have their eyes closed, and the Lord will know if you're not. So I promise you, he's worse to deal with than me. But I want you to do business on your own. Do business with the Lord this morning, because the gospel needs to become something that we are so vitally connected to, brothers and sisters, that we do not get to heaven and hear what the Messiah says, the king and the judge says to the believers who say, Lord, Lord, we did all of these things in your name, miracles, uh, casting out demons, prophesying, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. We do not want to be the believers that have come so close to the truth but not actually taken of the grace, not actually received the gift. 
that Jesus has given. So this morning as we pray, if God has laid on your heart, I want you to raise your hand, not for anyone else, but I want you to raise your hand for yourself this morning to say, God, I acknowledge that I have not partaken of the grace of your word and the truth of your gospel on a daily basis. I Maybe, you, maybe I feel dry inside. I feel like I don't even hear from you anymore. And I'm struggling with sin that I cannot conquer on my own. And I need you. And so, Father, this morning as we come before you and we kneel our hearts before you to say, Lord, we need the gospel in our lives. We need your light, your truth of your word to shine in our hearts, to reveal in us any area of sin, anywhere that we are, that we are hanging on to or that we are, we are blind to in our own lives, where the world may be a delusion to us and may be deceiving us or where our flesh is winning the battle on a regular basis or where the enemy has actually come in and attacked us and beaten us down to the point where we've given up. God, I need your gospel. And this morning, Lord, I want to confess to you that I believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God and that he died for my sins and then he rose again on the third day, having victory over death, victory over sin, and therefore making it possible for me, through faith, to accept the free gift of eternal life offered by our Father in heaven. Lord Jesus, I accept that, and I believe it this morning. And I want to admit that I need your help to do it tomorrow, to do it in an hour to do it when life doesn't go the way I want it to, to do it when life hurts. I would ask God that you would fill me with your joy. And then if it be your will, Lord, that in some opportunity you would allow me to share the truth of your word with someone else that needs it desperately as well. God, we give you the glory. I want to celebrate and exalt you for your gift. This is not ours. It's yours and yours alone, and we are grateful. We worship you this morning. I thank you for this body. I thank you for the love that is in this place. I thank you for the joy that's in this place. And yet, Lord, I know that there's hurt. I know that there's discouragement. I know that we're wrestling with sin. We need you to show up. You are here. You always show up. We need to believe you. We need to trust in you. We need to seek you even this morning. So as David prays in Psalm 139, Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts, see if there be any anxious way or or any wicked way in me, and lead me in your way everlasting. Thank you for this time. I thank you for this family. I thank you for my Messiah and the saving grace that is offered in the gospel. We give you the glory, Lord, in your name. Amen.
Won't you join us in our final song closing out here? Amazing grace.
wonderful truth of your gospel, and may it permeate our entire lives each and every day. And we thank you, Lord, for that truth. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever, that's me, shall believe in him will not, will not, but have everlasting. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a good week.